You're listening to the Pursue God Men's Podcast, the official channel for biblical manhood at PursueGod.org. Find resources to talk about it with your family, men's group, or mentor at PursueGod.org forward slash men. Okay, John, in today's episode, I'm really excited about this. We've been prepping for this one for a while. In today's episode, we're going to tackle this hot, this hot topic that probably a, a lot of men are interested to hear from a biblical perspective. We're going to talk about how should a Christian view the, the whole gun control debate? And we have a special guest for this episode and a good friend of ours, a co-pastor of ours, Pastor Mike London. So before we jump into this, Mike, why don't you real quick introduce yourself and maybe answer the, you know, a couple of questions. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? You know, the, the, the traditional Michael Scott questions. Why, why did we invite you into this conversation? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm a I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for you know uh, a couple of years now. Um, that's that's my new life. My my previous life was I was a police officer. I retired as a police officer, and uh, you know, as a in in that role as a police officer, not only did I um, you know carry a, a gun for a living, but I dealt with gun crimes and I. Um, yeah, I trained all the time for that kind of thing. And, um, and I also have a, you know, a somewhat unique, um, experience that, you know, uh, that I've used deadly force in my, in my career, uh, against a, another human being. And, and, you know, so one of the things that I always like to, uh, tell people, you know, about sort of this, um, maybe the, the, whether or not there's been any, any change in my heart, uh, you know, as I've gone from one career path to, a, to a different one is that, you know, uh, and, and specifically regarding this, this topic, right. Of, of, you know, guns and, and that kind of thing is during my law enforcement career, I spent uh, a lot of time training this way. Um, I have, I have one of my, my duty weapons, uh, for example, that I put 19,000 rounds through because I trained hundreds of hours, uh, in order to be extremely proficient. If God forbid, I ever found myself in a, in a situation where I needed to use that. Um, but now I see myself in a, in a, you know, in a different position. And I recognize that all along, I've had this responsibility to do a different kind of range time where I grow closer to God and uh, I become intimately familiar with his word so that I can use that every single day. Man, I love that you say it that way, Mike, because I think some some of the guys listening to this might be more, more versed on the gun, the reasons that they want to keep their guns than they are on the Bible itself. And man, I love that, that. That let that just be a challenge to the men listening. Hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna talk about what the Bible says. I think you're gonna like what we say, but at the end of the day, it's not about it's not about you liking it first. It's about God, what God's word has to say about it, so that we can align ourselves with God's word. And that's why we want to cover these hot topics. We we might end up at the same conclusion that most of our listeners have going into it. And we might not, but the point is that we look to God in his word and everything that we do, and we let God's word lead. And so I hope the men and the young men listening to this podcast will be inspired by the end of this episode, not just to, not just to, to know what God's word says about gun control and guns and owning a gun, but also that they would have a desire to know God's word. And Mike, I love that about you. You're a man of God's word. John, you are a man of God's word. And that's why we wanted to tackle this. We want to 
we want to look at this topic from a biblical perspective. So, John, why don't you give us a sense? Where are we going to be going today in the conversation? What are we going to be covering in this conversation as we talk? Let me kind of lay out the roadmap for everybody. Really, today's conversation is going to have three different movements to it. The first thing we're going to discuss is, is a Christian justified in taking someone else's life in self-defense or in the defense of others? And the reason we're starting there is how we answer that question is going to have a big impact on how we view the gun control debate. If we do believe there are times when that is justified, then that leads to a second question, and that is, is there a limit as to what extent a Christian is able to defend themselves or those around them? In other words, would you say it's okay to use a baseball bat to defend your family as a Christian, but it's not okay to use a gun? And I guess if that's your position, biblically, how do you justify that? Uh, If it's not okay to use a gun, or excuse me, if it is okay to use a gun, then do we put a limit on what types of guns we can use? You know, that's a big question in the gun control debate is proponents of stricter gun control would say, you know, we're not saying you can't have any gun. We just don't want you to have certain types of guns. So that's kind of the first movement of our conversation today. The second one is a a practicality issue. Would stricter gun laws reduce gun deaths? You know, regardless of of where you stand on it, would it be practical? Would it be effective? Because regardless of the answer to the preceding question, if stricter gun laws are enacted, are Christians obligated to obey them if they feel a moral obligation to protect those around them? So again, should there be more gun control is kind of this first part of the movement. The second question is, if there is stricter gun control, and you as a believer feel a moral obligation to protect those around you, are you obligated to obey the new laws? So we're going to touch that. That's that's important. And the Bible says a lot about obeying authority. So I think that'll be a good part of our conversation. And then lastly, as believers, what's our ultimate source of protection? You know, where do we really place our trust at the end of the day? Is it is it in the arsenal we've accumulated in our home, or is it in Almighty God? So that's kind of where we're headed for today. Okay, so let's tackle that first movement, John. And Mike, we re- I really want to hear your insights on this as well. Let's talk about the defense and protection side of this whole debate. And maybe it would be good for us to start with a, with a scripture reference. This is from the Old Testament, Exodus 22, verse 2. It says this, If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house, so well, that's interesting. Some of our listeners might be like, wait, the Bible says stuff about things like this? It actually does. Okay, so so if that happens, if a thief, a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief, drum roll please, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. Guys, how do we process this? Is this, the, I mean, this is Exodus 22. Is this even something that we should still even apply to this debate? Well, I think it's something we absolutely should apply. Now we're gonna get into some New Testament passages as well, and and maybe the the Trump passage that someone who is against the right for a Christian to take someone else's life in self-defense or the idea of Christian pacifism would come from, from the New Testament. So we will get there. So if you're on that side of this conversation and you're like, well, sure, guys, you're going to go to the Old Testament, but you're going to ignore what Jesus said in the New Testament. No, we're not. I promise, guys, we're not going to ignore it. We're going to get there. Uh, but but this is where we're going to start. Now, it's interesting that 
if we go just a couple of verses down behind verse 2, in the context of this, Exodus 22.2 is actually uh, talking about a thief breaking in at night. Because if you go down a couple of verses, it says if this happens in the daytime, the person who kills the thief would be guilty of murder. So in other words, our possessions are never worth another man's life. If you take someone else's life because they stole your watch and they're running away and you shoot them in the back, I think Exodus 22.2 clearly says that would be murder. But the issue of at night, you don't know if that guy is there. I say guy, I guess it could be a woman, but you don't know if that individual is there to simply steal from you or to bring bodily harm to you. And also there are no other witnesses around. There's no one else to kind of help you make that decision in the heat of the moment. What are the intentions of this person breaking in? And so in that situation, it would be, we'll use the term justifiable homicide, that it's not murder. If, If you kill him, certainly a life was lost, but it's not murder. Hey, Mike, can I ask you, like, what's the, so that's, that's what the Old Testament says. So that was, that was the, the law code for ancient Israelites. What's, what's the law code? Like, how does that play out today? Is it a national thing or is it a state by state thing? Um, you know, in large part, uh, you know, states have their own, their own, uh, take on, on laws, right? They, they have, uh, written them up a certain way. They, they enforce them a, a certain way, but mostly this is, you know, this is a concept that has been, you know, adjudicated a lot and they're oftentimes fairly similar when it, when it gets to, you know, that kind of a uh, minutia, but to John's point, like, I really think he, he nailed it um, when he was explaining the difference um, between the day and the night, you know, and you know, culturally, uh, people would have been in the home at, at night, they would have been out of the home, uh, you know, during the day off to work and working in their fields or whatever it is. And, and so it, it does boil down to a, a, you know, thing of protecting life or protecting property in that, in that per, you know, particular dynamic. And certainly, uh, from a legal standpoint, I'm not aware of, of, uh, any law in the United States, any state in the United States that would allow somebody to use deadly force to protect property. It's only to be used uh, to protect human life. Mm. Okay. So let's, I know the next thing, maybe some of our listeners are saying, okay, well, what about, what about the 10 commandments? Because the 10 commandment number six and the 10 commandments, again, these were given to Moses around the same time period that we're just reading here in Exodus 20. So this is given to Moses. The idea was that this was kind of going to be like the constitution or maybe the bill of rights. I don't know, something like that for the Israelites as they were heading toward the promised land. Um, and commandment number six is thou shalt not, thou shalt not murder. So what's the difference? It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It says you can't murder. What's the difference? Well, the Hebrew language has seven different words for killing. And the word that's used in the sixth commandment and I'm going to butcher it. I'm not a I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's Rasha, I believe. Rasha. Uh, it appears 47 times in the Old Testament, so it, it appears much less often than many of the other words that can also mean to kill. And this is the one word that would signify murder. In other words, it's it's unjustified. It is premeditated. It's intentional. Uh, This prohibition does not apply to killing an animal for food, for example. Uh, It it doesn't apply to defending one's home 
from a nighttime intrusion like we just looked at in Exodus 22. It doesn't apply to accidental killings. So if you if you know your New Testament and it talks about the cities of refuge where if you kill someone on accident, you can flee there. But but someone who commits murder fleeing to the city of refuge doesn't doesn't protect them. So there's clearly a differentiation in God's word between Again, I'll use the term justifiable homicide and murder. Yeah, I mean, I just jump in on this too, and and like I know that, I mean, since since we're kind of focusing on you know this concept in the Old Testament right now, um, I think that that that's an important dynamic. Now it's you know jumping forward, Jesus office often uh, you know explains in the New Testament that it's about the heart, right? The reasoning, uh, and the heart's position on things, um, not just the physical act that there's a heart condition behind this. And, and so when we go back to the old Testament, you know, we could see, um, you know, in, in first Samuel, right. Where, where, um, uh, Saul is, is ordered to go in and, and to kill, uh, all the, the men, women, and, and children. Um, and he's, he's, uh, taken, you know, he's, he's held accountable for, for failing to do that. Now, the reason why I, I bring that up is because, um, God wouldn't have ordered Saul to, to commit sin. Right. And, and, and so it, it starts us on this, you know, down this, this road of understanding that there is a heart concept behind this. And, you know, in Ezekiel 33, 11, this is an interesting one. Um, it says, uh, as I live declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And, uh, and so, you know, that's not, there, there, it's not a, a matter of taking pleasure. It's not a, it's not a desire to, to kill. Um, Right. It, it, when you have a desire to kill, it would suggest an evilness about your your intentionality. Yeah, and, and I could again, I could hear the Christian pacifist saying, "Okay, but you're arguing all of that kind of from the Old Testament." And a, a, a John, a Christian pacifist, would say, and again, we're not. Uh, we want to be fair to the different perspectives, so we want to be fair. Pro- I would guess that a lot of people listening to this are are going to be in favor of gun control. But a, but a Christian pacifist would say, well, what about what Jesus says, say, in Matthew 5.39? He said, I say to you, do not resist the evil, the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, don't slap him back, but turn to him the other also. So they would say, look, this is this the New Testament now sets forth a different pattern, a different thing. And they would say, you should just turn the other cheek. John, what 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 would you say about that? Well, I would say it's always dangerous to just pull one verse out of context for either side of this argument. So I I recognize that someone who is more on the pro-gun side like I am can do the same thing. But a couple things about that verse in particular, most people are right-handed. So Jesus specifically says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So the idea of a slap on the right cheek means you just got backhanded. It, it's an insult. This isn't someone who's trying to kill you or who's trying to cause serious bodily harm. This is an insult. And Jesus said, just eat the insult. This, you know, this guy's trying to insult you. Just take it. Turn the other cheek. I don't think Jesus is commanding that we literally just stand there and allow someone to beat us to death. I, I don't think he would have articulated specifically the right cheek if that was his intent. The second thing I would say is Jesus also, this is a command from Jesus, 
to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the call for us to love our neighbors as ourselves, I believe, creates a moral obligation for us to protect our neighbors, for us to look out for their best interests. Now, as a believer, can I foresee a time when God would call me to simply lay down my life? I, I can, actually. You know, I, I, I think of you know, news footage we've seen over the last several years of Christians in the Middle East who've been captured by religious terrorists, and they're, they're lined up on a beach, and they're beheaded, and they don't fight. They, they just simply lay down their life. They, they know God's in control. They know that, that even if they were to fight back and somehow even escape, it, this life's only temporary. And, and they're, willing to, they're willing to give their life to be with Jesus. They're willing to, to give that testimony of, hey, I'm not going to fight this because I've got a God who's in control. And I've got a God who's going to protect me one way or the other. Either he can protect me by removing me out of this situation, or he can protect me by bringing me right into his presence for eternity. But, but let's kind of zoom out. What if it's not just you? What if it's your neighbors who don't know Jesus? You have a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and their life is threatened and you just let them die. That means that neighbor of yours is going to hell if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's one thing for me to lay down my life knowing that I'm going to get to meet Jesus and I'm going to spend eternity with him. It's quite another thing to just stand by and watch someone who doesn't know Jesus head to eternal separation from God. You know, our, our church has a safety team. And we have armed members of that safety team. And we, we have some individuals. And again, I, I've tried to be more empathetic of their position that just have heartburn over that. In fact, we had one gentleman say, why are we working so hard to keep people out of heaven <laughs> You know, by protecting? But here's the issue. Not everyone in my church on a Sunday is going to heaven if they pass away today. We have a lot of people in our church that they're churchgoers, right? They, you know, they... They, they know how to go to church every Sunday, but they don't have a genuine relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, hopefully you know it's not going to church that saves us. It's knowing Jesus as our personal Savior. And, and how can I stand by and watch someone who doesn't know Jesus be, have their life taken? In fact, I think there's a command in the Old Testament, a very specific command, not to stand by while our neighbor's life is threatened. Yeah, Leviticus 19.16, it says, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Okay, that's, that's not particularly relevant to this conversation, but it's interesting. Right next to that, it says, do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened, I am the Lord. A lot of these commandments are... Uh, punctuated by that statement, I am the Lord, throughout the Old Testament. And I think what that's saying is, I'm God, you're not. This is the way I want you to view this kind of thing. And what he's punctuating is that commandment, don't stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. So that that is calling us to some sort of action. And I think he punctuates it with that, Brian, because my first, I mean, look, you know, we're supposed to be mentally men, and but my first response is, well, how much do I love this neighbor? <laughs> like my my neighbor's life is being threatened, and and I've got to step into that. You know, I, I've got to be willing to give my life for someone that I may not like. It doesn't say when your best friend's life is threatened. It says your neighbor, right? That might be the same neighbor whose dog you know, comes over and does his business on my lawn every day that I can't stand. And, and so God's saying, look, I'm the Lord. Don't, don't push back on this. 
Let me just, you know, add a, maybe a rhetorical question because, you know, like, like you said, we want to, we want to be able to present this from both sides. So, so, you know, how about, how about the uh, consideration that the assailant might not be a believer? Do we take that into, into consideration as far as uh, them not having an opportunity after this interaction to receive the Lord? I mean, is that something that maybe we ought to, ought, ought to consider? Um, I think that's a fair question, Mike. I, in the same conversation, I had someone say, you know, if I was willing to take the life of a non-believer to protect members of my congregation, they said, so you, you would be willing to send this guy to hell. And I said, if you think I have the power to send someone to hell, <laughs> we need to have another conversation about your theology. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, God is a righteous God and if anyone goes to hell, it's because they've rejected this holy, loving, almighty God who longs to know them. So, you know, sh- should that come across my mind, Mike? I think so. Like, I, I I, do believe that I should examine the weight of of taking someone's life, even in self-defense, if they don't know the Lord. But to think that I somehow have control over where that person's going to spend eternity, I think is... Uh, is thinking much too highly of ourselves. I don't, I don't think we have any impact on that. Well, Mike, and I would love to, uh, maybe just you could take a minute to share your story. You'd mentioned that you, you were put in a position as a law enforcement officer to, take a, to potentially take someone else's life. I'd love maybe share that story and how, maybe how, that, how you've had to wrestle through probably some of these questions, not just theoretically, but in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can, you know, to, to sort of answer my own question a minute ago, I didn't have time to, in that moment to, uh, to contemplate, um, this other person's salvation. You know, the, the, my, my understanding of this dynamic needed to take place long before that, right. I needed to be prepared in my heart to understand God's perspective on an issue like deadly force, because you know, I wasn't pre- presented with an option to, you know, to ask this, this person uh, who was trying to kill me and, and another police officer, uh, what his, his faith situation was. Um, uh, so, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. But in, in my case, in this situation, um, I, yeah, I did, I did have to, to shoot somebody and, um, uh, and, and he was, you know, significantly wounded, um, but he did not die. And, um, and we, you know, we have, a very, very interesting, uh, story in the, in the 15 years since then, um, that, uh, one of my, one of my goals is, is really to, you know, share the gospel with him because, um, I, I see that he was, he, he didn't die that night. Um, and, you know, is still here. And that's my hope in my heart is that he would come to know um, forgiveness through Jesus. Yeah, and Mike, for you, I, as I've, I've heard this story before, and I, it's, I'll admit my naivete when I just kind of thought, hey, if you're in law enforcement, it's like what we see on TV, like you're always in gunfights and taking people out. And to, to hear about the profound impact of you having to engage and shoot. And you, I, if I remember the story, Mike, you thought you had killed this guy, right? And so the, the, the psychological impact on you, a guy who'd been trained for this, and I mean, the, you were the good guy in the story, and to hear the psychological impact on you is striking to me. And that's why I think 
having this conversation before you're ever in the in the situation is so valuable. It's it's so helpful. So maybe speak to that for a second. Like, what did that trigger? No pun intended. For you, what was the journey now that that created for you? Because I think a lot of you've gotten more clarity now, even on who God is, and your relationship with God was strengthened after that than even before that. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, in the in the weeks and months and years after that, uh, you know, just the the trauma of going through something like that is, it, it you know plays a huge role in your in your psyche and the way that you handle your emotions and the way that you interact with with people it 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 does uh significant you know damage to to those those dynamics um and and i was somebody who had prepared myself for this very real potential um like I had mentioned earlier, years before, months before, uh, a lot. This was something that I was. I felt like I had a pretty good sense for, you know, how this was going to affect me. But the reality is, uh, afterwards, I never could have imagined how uh, impactful this was going to be uh, as I started to question things. I mean, you know, like I, I mentioned, this guy uh, he survived, but even for a significant amount of time, uh, it was thought that he would. He would die from these wounds um, eventually, and um, and and I I thank God to this day that He didn't because um, I've I've actually you know miraculously gotten to know Him and uh, had the opportunity to you know speak the gospel to Him on many occasions and and that sort of thing. So I'm grateful that He didn't, um, but I I had to come to grips with what that meant in my life. Um, and I was already a believer, but I, I had, I had, you know, distanced myself from my, from my faith at that point in my life. And so this, this prompted me to really press into what, what God's position is on the actions that I took that night. So John, let me, let me just ask you this then, is it, I mean, with Mike's story in mind and just with what scripture says, is it possible to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us, which Jesus commands? And still carry a firearm for personal personal protection. Like, how could you justifiably kill someone we're supposed to love? As people are wrestling with this, they're they're hearing these scripture references, they're hearing Mike's story, they're maybe thinking about their own story or their own the, the guns that they own. I mean, where maybe before we move on to the next portion of our conversation, how would you how would you answer those questions? I think that's the question that I probably wrestled with when we first implemented our safety team. And I was challenged by some people that like, that's the question where I camped out. And Mike mentioned earlier today about the heart issue behind it, you know, the attitude behind it. Now I want to be really careful when I say this because we don't love like God loves. I recognize that God's love is perfect. Our love is tainted. But God loves his enemies, or at least I believe he does. Uh, there may be some doctrinal distinctives that would say he doesn't love those in sin. I, I believe that God so loved the world that he showed his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I think God loves his enemies. Now, if you die separated from God, you're going to spend eternity separated from God. But God loves his enemies, and God has killed his enemies. Like not just allowed people to die. God, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah. God did that. Like God destroyed those those cities because of their sin. I think God still love. God is love. God loved those people, but they were enemies of God. Korah in the in the wilderness. You know, when he rebelled against Moses, 
the earth swallowed him up and far devoured. That wasn't just God, you know, kind of idly standing by and allowing something to happen. No, God was the primary cause of that, I would say, I would submit. So I, th I think there is a way for us to love our enemies and still, if we had to, take a life in self-defense or in the defense of others. And I think that's modeled for us in scripture. Now, again, we we wouldn't do it perfectly. You know, our 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 love isn't perfect like God's love is. So I want to be sure to clarify that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We don't love like God loves, but God commands us to love our enemies. He doesn't command us to do anything he doesn't do. But again, that's my theological perspective. He loves his enemies, but he has definitely killed his enemies. So I think it is possible. I think it's possible to justifiably kill someone that we're supposed to love. Okay, so let's move on. We'll we'll leave it there for men's groups and mentoring relationships, and maybe even if families are having this conversation as you wrestle with it, there'll be some questions down below at PursueGod.org for this. Let's leave it there, and let's move on to another question, maybe a little bit. Let's pivot a little bit to a, a more practical question, and, and here it is. Would stricter gun laws reduce gun deaths? Now, we're not going to have the definitive answer here, but let's start the conversation at least. And and if and if and then I guess the second part of the question is if those stricter gun laws are enacted, are Christians obligated to obey them? Right, because we're supposed to obey our government, but then there are some scenarios in which civil disobedience is appropriate. So let's put those questions on the table. Well, I'd love to hear Mike's perspective on this because again, he dealt with this professionally. Like, what does the average law enforcement? professional think? Do they feel like gun control would make our streets safer? So I, I'm just going to briefly give you my opinion, a couple statistics I found researching this, but I really think Mike's better to speak to this. The United States owns more guns than any other nation, and it's not even close when you look at total gun ownership. And in total gun deaths, we rank second. But in gun deaths per capita, we're 22nd. So we, we hear about this epidemic of gun violence in the United States. There are 21 countries who have way fewer guns than we do that have more gun deaths per capita. And if you take away suicides, we rank even lower because the United States is the, it was either number one or number two in, gun, in suicide gun deaths. So if you remove suicides, if you take gun violence against other people, we're not even in the top 25. So I, I'm old enough to remember I grew up in a small town, kind of in the backwoods in Florida. And I remember pulling into my high school parking lot and, and literally more trucks than not had rifles on a gun rack in the back of the truck on a windshield. And we never, ever had a shooting at our school. I would also point that the cities in the U.S. with the strictest gun control legislation regularly lead the nation in gun-related deaths. Now, I... Again, I wanted to be honest about this, guys, so I did a lot of research. It would seem from data from other countries like Australia that the total number of gun deaths would decrease if gun buyback programs were mandated, if the total number of guns was, re was reduced. I do think we would see a decrease in total gun deaths. But my question is, are we protecting the most vulnerable if law-abiding citizens agree to sell their guns back, but the criminals don't? Because I think we have a greater sin issue then we do a gun issue. But but again, and maybe before we dig into that sin issue, I'd love to hear Mike's perspective on what he thinks stricter gun control would actually do. Um, I've looked at a lot of those same statistics, John, that you shared, and those are the, th the same ones that I would share here. Um, 
talking about the fact that the the cities and the and the communities that have the strictest gun control are the places that still have the you know the the most violence. And certainly, if you were to take guns out of the equation, obviously the statistics of gun deaths would would drop. But that doesn't change the fact that violence still exists in a lot of those places where they have strict gun control. They still have extreme levels of violence. It's just with something other than with a gun. And as a as a police officer, it was it was always uh, extremely hard to respond to a. a you know, some sort of an incident where somebody had been violently victimized and hadn't utilized their 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 right, their God given right to protect themselves, um, and and you and you had to sit and wonder, would I be dealing with a, a death here or or these extreme injuries here to this victim had this person armed themselves and protected themselves? So, John, let's go back to what you said uh, just a minute ago that the greater the greater the bigger problem is our sin issue and not a gun issue. What for, for some people, they heard you say that, and and maybe this is the first time they've heard that. Explain what you mean by that. And where, where does that come from biblically? Well, all throughout the Bible, we see that we're fallen, that there were slaves to sin until Jesus comes in and does a work. But specifically Mark chapter seven, verses 21 and 22, Jesus is speaking. He says, for from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So until we address the sin issue, we're going to have violence. And as Mike said, now maybe, maybe there's a way you, you remove every gun from the streets. Uh, maybe that happens. And if that does, then you're going to have knife violence. You're, you're going to have vehicle violence. I mean, we see that. We see that in places. I remember a year or two ago where in London, the guy just drove his car through a crowd of people and killed, you know, 20 to 30 people. So he didn't use it with a gun, but the sin issue was still there. The sin issue is still intact. And so I would just say, regardless of where you stand on the gun control debate, we we need more Jesus is what we need more of. <laughs> That's our biggest need. That's our greatest need. Okay. So what if, let's say that gun, stricter gun laws are enacted. Again, this is another big question that some Christians are wrestling with. What what should be the Christian gun owner's response, right? I know that some, Christian gun owners get fired up thinking about this and they're thinking, that's when I'm going to step up and I'm going to disobey my authorities. Okay, so let's let's talk about what Scripture says about this, and, and then how does this relate? Romans 13.1, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So, Mike, thank you for your service all those years. I appreciate what you and all of our law enforcement personnel do. But it says, verse 2, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So pacifists would take this and just be like, obviously this says if that happens, then Christians just turn your guns in and, and you need to obey your authorities. Is that, is that as cut and dried as a pacifist would say? Well, I would throw another question in there, Brian. What is the ultimate authority in the United States in the form of government we have? We have a democratic republic. So what is our highest authority? So I'm, 
I think I think it's pretty clear that God's word does call us to submit to authority unless the authority is asking us to do something that contradicts a command from God. So, you know, I think of the apostles in Acts chapter five, where they've been preaching the name of Jesus and they get brought in before the religious leaders, they get beaten and then they release them and they say, but we don't want to hear you talking about this Jesus guy anymore. And Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So in the context of that story, the religious leaders were telling them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And this would have been direct disobedience to the Great Commission. In other words, Jesus had given a very specific command, go into all the world and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So they couldn't obey the religious leaders. They had they had to obey God instead of obeying men. So and again, I, I want Mike to speak to this more than me, but I've I've wrestled with this a lot. Like if let's just say the Second Amendment was changed, let's say the Second Amendment w- amendment was was amended, then then I would say as a believer, I don't see a direct command in Scripture for me to arm myself. I think I would have to give up my guns if the Second Amendment was changed. If it was removed, because that's the highest authority in our land. I mean, not counting God's authority, obviously, but but if there's not an amendment made then do I have the right to go against what a local authority might tell me to do because the higher authority, the Constitution, gives me the right to bear arms? To me, that's a gray area. And that, I think that's where I would land. I mean, I'm just being honest, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm still wrestling with this. If a local authority says you can't have a gun, but the Constitution says I can, I think it would be really tough for me to hand over my firearms. I, 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 I just pray that I would do the right thing. I mean, that I would honor God in that, but I, I really don't know what I would do. But I think if 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 we go down this trail where the Second Amendment has changed, I, I don't know that we have a lot of biblical uh, justification in saying, well, I don't care. I'm just going to stick my nose up at the authorities and keep my gun. No, this is good, John. This is this is why I wanted to hear your take on this kind of stuff, because I know that you you love God's word and you really you genuinely want to submit to God's word. And I just I hope that the guys listening, you know, the NRA guys listening. I mean, I think people our listeners understand kind of where we lean on this debate. We're obviously not approaching this from a pacifist perspective. But man, I I really hope our listeners would 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 learn something John from your heart that you truly are you're not just trying to put your rights above God's word. I love that. And I think that's what every listener should wrestle with. Mike, what would you say? Is there anything you would add to this? Do you have the same perspective or is it a little bit different for you? I'm really glad to hear, John, you share your heart there. I know that your desire is to be as God honoring as as possible. So I genuinely believe that you are uh, that you wrestle with trying to figure this out. And I, I feel the same way. Um, this is a difficult thing to to really uh, get the context of properly. So because you took that position, it gives me the freedom to maybe take the opposite view here. And, and I would say from the outset, it's, it's one thing for us to look at this through the, the original premise of what if the second amendment was, uh, you know, was removed. Right. Um, but I would clarify that we might have a different response here, uh, for some of us, if we're, if we're, Answering from the perspective of uh, an American Christian who who falls under the the Second Amendment, or if we were talking to uh, say you know 
European Jews in the 1930s and the 1940s who were actually facing uh, their ability to have their you know weapons to protect themselves uh, removed from them, and 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 it might that might kind of skew some of our our positions. But I would say, um, you know, when you when you look at the Constitution, even if that was repealed, I say we have you know 247 years of the precedent that has been set that our rights aren't granted by the constitution they're not granted by the government they are granted by god and they are the constitution simply recognizes these these rights that we have which is the ability for our, our, us to protect ourselves and so i think we have to we have to look at that because you know it's not part of the constitution but but you know the the declaration of of uh independence um specifically, you know, tells us that uh, it says deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, right? So the, the, the power of the government to even do that has to be given to it from the governed. And so if the governed pushes back on that, according to our Declaration of Independence, that they don't have that power in order to do that. And maybe that's getting off into the, into the weeds here, but this, I think, speaks to how difficult this concept can be for Christians. And so I think our best bet is to go directly to God's word and see what God says about these issues so we can have the best understanding possible. Yeah, I think it's fascinating that you would bring that into it, Mike. It makes me just think of our non-American listeners and and how they're going to have to maybe process this from their the perspective of their culture, their country, as well, you know, First Peter two says, "For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right." So obviously, you look at this and you say, "Well, that's not." I mean, part of this is to say, "Does our government punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right?" Because that's their job. So there's there's so many more layers to this conversation, and and we encourage people to think about it and pray about it, discuss it. Um, we're certainly not trying to pretend that we have the final word on any of this. The goal of this conversation is to give people the tools and the framework to think about this so that you're asking the right questions. Um, uh, we could probably do a hundred more podcasts on there on this and, and dive into this issue. But, but John, I think it's good for us to maybe finish this with one more, like kind of zoom out just a little bit more from this whole debate. I know some of our listeners are probably getting fired up about some of the things we've said, or maybe some of our listeners are really encouraged or they're going to ready to hit the word and really try to understand this. But let's zoom all the way out and talk about our ultimate source of protection. Yeah, I think of Psalm 27. The psalmist says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That was their firearms, right? I mean, that, that that was their instruments of war, chariots and horses at the time, and swords and spears and slings. But but the idea here is we don't trust in technology. We don't trust in our armament. Our ultimate trust is in the name of the Lord our God. Now, this is in the context of, of Israel going to war. So it, it doesn't mean just because we trust in God, we just hide under the bed and pray for God to protect us. Again, I'm not I'm not a pacifist, and I don't think the Bible teaches pacifism. Um, but we, we can definitely misplace our trust, right? I mean, if I, if I go out day to day and let's say I'm, I'm a concealed carry guy 
And, and that's like my ultimate thing. That's why I feel confident to go out about my daily business is because I'm caring. Then to me, that's sinful. That that is at the bare minimum, that's misplaced trust. Like my trust needs to be in God and in his sovereignty, in his goodness. I can still be prepared. I can still be, you know, I can still be proficient with a firearm. That and it's so funny, Mike, that you you mentioned all the time on the range, because one of the things that I had just thought about, you know, before we even talked about this podcast is for the and hey, just so just so you guys know, like. I'm an NRA guy too. I mean, so, uh, and I have a son who's in law enforcement. I mean, I'm very pro gun, but, but I, I want to honor God in this. I want, I'd be willing to give all that up. If God clearly spoke to me and said, Hey man, you got it wrong, John, you know, you need to lay him down. I would lay him down. But, but I've just been thinking for those of, of you on this podcast that maybe are more like me and, and, and like Mike, like, are you spending as much time praying? And in God's word, as you are on the range, you know, do you get as excited about something God reveals to you through his word as you do when you buy a new firearm? Your conversations with other men, how much time do you spend talking about hunting and fishing and firearms? And I talk about all that stuff. I do. I, I, I love those. I mean, those are my hobbies. But it was just convicting to me, like on a daily basis, do I talk about that stuff more than I talk about what Jesus has done for me, about the truth in God's word? So, you know, let's make sure that our trust is primarily in God and in his character and his goodness and not in the particular firearm that we might be carrying that day. Yeah, that's so good. And we'll leave this this episode right there. John and Mike, thank you for helping us think through gun control. And just to our listeners, this is part of our Hot Topic series at PursueGod.org. If you want to go check that out, we, we're we going to talk next time about immigration. Again, it's a hot topic, but we want to look at it from a biblical perspective. We're going to talk in the in the, the following week about abortion. You know, we, we spent some time previously talking about Israel and Hamas. So it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to have a biblical perspective on all of these cultural topics. You know, we can't just put our Bible away when we're talking about, you know, some of these hot topics. We really need to think about it biblically and apply what God's word says, not just what we feel or what our, I don't know, political persuasion has to say to it. We should be Bible first followers of Jesus. And that's the goal of this whole hot topic series. So if you want to go through this series with your family or your small group or your mentor, you can find this online at pursuegod.org forward slash hot topics and make sure to join us every week as we continue to talk about some of this.